Well, good morning, Word Church. Welcome to our online service once again. We're so glad that you've joined us today. I hope that you're in a position ready to receive from God, ready to hear from God. Oh, I hope that, like we talked about last week, that you have ears to hear what God has to say. He has something to say, but you got to lean in, tune in to what God wants to say to you today through His Word. Today is a special day for believers. Today is the day of Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday. Now, in the Old Testament, Pentecost was a harvest festival. It was a time that was meant to be celebrated 50 days, or, or as they put it then, seven weeks plus a day uh, after Passover. So that's where we get the word Pentecost from the, the Greek uh, word for five. So we see that penta, you know, Pentecost being 50 days after Passover. And so that, that's significant in the Old Testament not only because it was a, a, a festival of thanksgiving, but it was also the day that the law was given uh, to the people of Israel. But to New Testament believers, to us, it is especially significant because this is the day that the church received the, the infilling, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So many of us would consider this the church's birthday. I'm not talking about word church. I'm not talking about whatever church you attend. I'm talking about the church. Jesus's church. It's the church's birthday today. This is the day the church really began. And so it's an exciting day. It's a day to celebrate, but it's a day to remember what caused it. What did these people have to do to be in position so that the Holy Spirit would pour himself out, that God would pour his spirit out on the church as was promised in the Old Testament, as was affirmed in the new through Jesus. This is a big day. You know, one of the things that makes, makes us Christians different, and the main thing, is the Spirit of God dwelling in us. You know, we, we are, yes, followers of Jesus, but if you were a follower of Jesus and had not been born again, you know, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, uh, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless someone is born again, that means that there's a new birth. There's something that happens. And the Bible tells us that this is so significant because you are in Christ now. And if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things. And so this is, this is a big deal. One of the things that sets us apart is not just that we say, okay, we believe in Jesus or we follow Jesus, but what sets us apart is that we have His Spirit dwelling in us, that we literally have Him. We have that same Spirit of God living in each and every one of us, and that is huge. We know that uh, there's a difference between just saying, you know, I, I felt the Spirit, I've had a touch of the Spirit, and the infilling, the baptizing, the, the uh, uh, being filled with the Holy Spirit that the Bible tells us about. It, it, this is not just about an experience. It's not just about a moment. It's not just about a feeling. This is about a new reality where we are spirit-filled, spirit-fueled, spirit-empowered, spirit-led people of God. And that's huge. And today I want to talk about that. We've, we've been talking and we're going to continue talking about how to get yourself in position how to get yourself in position to hear from God, to receive from God, to be used by God, because positioning is so important in the Bible. Last week we talked about the importance of having your ears ready, ears to hear. You know, as Jesus said, if anybody's got an ear to hear, let them hear. That is so key to receiving from God, being used by God, being put in a position where God can either get something to you or get something through you. It's positioning. 
And today I want to talk about actual positioning, like being in a literal place at a literal time. I'm not just talking about figuratively being in position. I'm talking about actually being in position where God needs you to be. And because this is a day where it's kind of it's relevant, not only to our time right now, but it's relevant as we, we look at this Pentecost Sunday, we look at the first uh, New Testament Pentecost celebration in Jerusalem and why it was so important that they obeyed Jesus and they listened to his voice as to where and when they should be. You know, uh, uh, just to give you some background, at the, the end of the book of Luke, Jesus tells them, you need to wait in the city of Jerusalem until you've been clothed with power from on high. Wait for me, wait here until you've been clothed with power from on high. Let's not forget, Jerusalem is a dangerous place for them. Until Jesus' resurrection, after his crucifixion, and until his resurrection, the Bible tells us they had locked themselves up. They were afraid of the people because this city was the city that had called for Jesus' death. You know, they were, just weeks before, uh, they, they were so afraid of Jerusalem that they wouldn't even go to Bethany, which was a suburb of Jerusalem. They wouldn't even go near Jerusalem for fear of what would happen if they set foot in that city because they knew that they were wanted men. And sure enough, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. He's only there less than a week. He's arrested and he's put on trial for, uh, for, for crimes that they've kind of trumped up against them. And then he's executed. Now, we know that Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. But you can understand why the disciples might think we might be next. So they're locked up, they're afraid, and then Jesus appears to them. And everything changes. And when Jesus is with them, they don't stay in Jerusalem the whole time. They, we find them on the Sea of Galilee. We find them back in some of their own old stomping grounds. But Jesus brings them to the place on the Mount of Olives when he ascends and goes up to the Father. He tells them before he goes, Wait for me in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. Then in Acts chapter 1, and I'm going to read this for you and with you. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 9, he's just told them that they're going to be his witnesses. They've asked him, you know, Lord, when is the kingdom coming? Is this, is this the time that you're going to set up your earthly kingdom? Is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know that time. That time's coming, but it's not here yet. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Then he says this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received them out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who's been taken up away from you into heaven, will come in just the way, same way as you've watched him go into heaven." Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer 
along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And at this time, Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren. A gathering of about 120 persons were there together. Now listen, let's just stop there. Jesus has not given them information on how long they need to be there. He didn't tell them what they need to do besides wait. And you guys know, how hard is that? How hard is it to hear Jesus say, wait, wait here until this happens. And that's all you know. He didn't tell them what to do while they were waiting. He didn't tell them where except for the city of Jerusalem. He didn't tell them when. You know, we know now that the Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, but Jesus didn't tell them that. He didn't tell them, wait for Pentecost. He didn't tell them any of that stuff. He just said, wait. For all they know, they could be waiting for six months. For all they know, they could be waiting for a year. They don't know. They just know Jesus told us to wait, and they did. And what happens after they gather in that upper room? It says there's about 120 of them there, and Peter stands up and says, there's 11 disciples because one of us betrayed Jesus. And then he says, but that's exactly what the Bible told us. That's what the prophets said. That's what it says in Psalms was going to happen. The prophecy's fulfilled. And he said, but the Bible goes on to tell us that another one should take his place. So Peter says, by that, we should, we should pick somebody who was a, with Jesus during his ministry, who was a witness to the resurrection, and they should take the place of Judas. And they pray about it, they talk about it, they pick two guys who are equally qualified, and when they can't come to a decision past that, they cast lots and say, God, it's up to you. Basically, flip a coin, God, you decide where the coin lands. And, and not only that, but the casting of lots was an Old Testament method to determine the will of God in certain situations. It was something actually God had prescribed. So they cast lots, and they, it falls on, on this guy, and they say, this is the guy, he's the man and he replaces Judas. Now, one thing that's interesting is they never cast lots again. That's the last time they ever do it. Because after this, what's gonna happen is the Holy Spirit's coming, and now their decisions are gonna be made a little bit different. Now he's leading and guiding them. Now he's in the church, and the wisdom of God is made known through the church by his Spirit. Something happens. We find this later as we go down. In chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and they don't know that this is the day. They just know we've been here since Jesus told us. This is about 10 days after Jesus ascended to the Father. It's 10 days later. Once again, they didn't know if they were supposed to be there for a day, a week, a month. They don't know. 10 days later, on the day of Pentecost, they're all together in one place. That's significant. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them as tongues of fire, as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. For those of you that know the story, it didn't end there. They spilled out of the upper room into the streets of Jerusalem and a crowd gathered and heard what was going on. And in fact, God did a miracle because everyone that gathered, there were a bunch of people from different nations, uh, all Jewish, but from different nations that had come for the feast. And they all began to hear that whole group speak their language. God didn't pick different people to speak different languages. They were all speaking the language of heaven. They were speaking in other tongues. But God did a miracle of translation because here's what they say. The crowds go, how is it 
that each one of us hears them in our own native tongue. They compared notes and said, hey, to me, they're speaking Arabic. And the other person says, well, to me, they're speaking Greek. And another person says, to me, they're speaking Parthian. They're hearing it in their own language. This is a divine miracle. But watch what happened. Watch how it happened. We know after this happened, Peter gives a great message empowered by the Spirit of God. And 3,000 people are saved. That's significant because at the giving of the law, thousands of years before on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people died in their rebellion. Now 3,000 people are saved. It's so awesome to see what God is doing. But it all began because a group of people were willing to wait. Because a group of people were willing to take a little bit of information that God gave them and be obedient to it. And I know that, that, that wait is not a word we enjoy. We want details. We want information. We want it now. I mean, you could have easily said, if you were one of the disciples, Jesus, why don't you just give us the Spirit now? Why don't you just pour it out on us now? Why do we have to wait? Why do we have to wait for this to happen? Why do we have to go to Jerusalem? We're here with you now. Just do something. I mean, Jesus had already breathed his breath into them and said, receive my spirit. But there was something coming that, they, that Jesus had to ascend to the Father and he said, I'll send my spirit. And they had to wait for it. I mean, he could have done it where it was the next day. But of course, it had to happen on the day of Pentecost. They didn't know that. But God knew that. And I think one of the things you need to realize when God is putting you in position, when God is saying, you need to be here, you need to go, you need to gather, you need to have a prayer meeting, you need to get to that conference, you need to go to church on Sunday. I mean, whatever it is that God is saying, you need to go over here, go to the mountains and pray for a while. When God is giving you that instruction that you need to be here and wait on me, there's some times where you say, God, I'll do it if you give me a timeline. I'll, gi- I'll do it if you give me a bit more information. Lord, you're talking right now. Why can't you just keep talking? One I love in, in, in the book of Jeremiah where God says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house and the Lord will talk to you there. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny because God is talking to him right now. God says, Jeremiah, go down to the potter's house. The Lord will talk to you there. I mean, Jeremiah could have said, Lord, you're talking to me right now. Keep talking. Finish it. But instead, God put him in a position where he had to go somewhere to hear something. Whatever stage you're at in life, whatever stage you're at in your walk with Christ, there's going to be a lot of moments where it matters that you are in a certain place at a certain time. And yes, we all say, well, God is able to make all that work together. He can find me. But I want to tell you, biblically, in the Old and New Testament, we see a pattern that people had to be where God told them to be. They couldn't just say, I mean, yeah, God will find you. God will, God will hit you where you are. But there are significant times and places where God says it's important that you gather. It's important that you're here. It's important that you get up from here and go to there. And the Bible's full of these examples, and we're going to talk about some of them today. But I want you to see that those 120 were in the right place. And the Bible says they were praying, they were eating their meals together there, and and for all they know, they're hunkered in for the long run. And then suddenly, suddenly, there comes a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Suddenly, the Spirit of God begins to descend on them, and they see it, 
manifested almost like flames. It doesn't say they are flames of fire. It doesn't say it's literal fire, but it says like tongues of fire. That's the best way they could describe it on each one of their heads. And they began to speak with other tongues. I want you to pay attention to the word suddenly because suddenly is a word that's important. So many things happen suddenly, but before the suddenly, is, there's often a preparation. There's preparation before the suddenly. There's waiting before the suddenly. There's training before the suddenly. There's fasting before the suddenly. I mean, we're all about the suddenly. God, do it now. But in the Bible, you know, just like in, in, in any time of life, for the suddenly to happen, you gotta be in the right place. There's gotta be preparation. We focus on the suddenly without focusing on what it took to be there for the suddenly. Because as you know, when something happens suddenly, there's not time to get in your car and drive over. When something happens suddenly, it happens without warning. You need to already be in position. I mean, if you're at a baseball game, somebody hits a home run, you, you can't just say, there's a home run, I see it on TV. I'm gonna drive there and catch that ball. You can't say, you can't be outside the stadium and hear the crack of the bat and say, I'm going to get there. You can't even be on the other side of the stadium, hear the, see the ball hit and run over to the other side to catch that ball. You've already got to be somewhat in position. And these people took Jesus literally. They took him literally. They stayed in that upper room. We don't know how big that upper room is. But if, you, if, you can, if you've studied uh, maps or, or, or archaeology from that time period, I know it fit at least 120 people because there were 120 people there. I somehow doubt that 120 people fit in there comfortably. I mean, remember, it's not called an upper conference center. It's in Jerusalem. It's in, a, it's in an old city, and it's called an upper room. Now, it's big enough that they can be in there together, but maybe it wasn't so comfortable to sleep there. Maybe it wasn't so comfortable for 120 people to eat together and pray together and, and find a place to go to the bathroom. This may not have been the most comfortable or convenient thing, and maybe that's the point. As they made that decision that we're going to do what Jesus said, God put them in position so that when they were gathered together, and that's so key, they were gathered together, God did it. In Acts chapter 4, it says when Peter and John come back to the group of disciples, to this large group of, of believers, and talk about the threats that were made against their life, they pray, and they all pray with one, one accord. They're all in agreement. And the Bible says the answer to their prayer is that God shook the place where they were gathered. He shook the place they were gathered, and once again, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what I found? I found that in the New Testament, we, even though individually you and I are meant to be full of the Holy Spirit, most of these times of infilling of the Holy Spirit, these mighty moves of the Spirit, they happen when people are gathered. God fills us together. Now, He can fill you in your room. He can fill you in your backyard. He can fill you in the park. But there are significant moments where it mattered that they were gathered. And that means that Maybe you have to go not knowing what to expect, but just expecting something. Here, they chose to gather. They chose to stay because Jesus said so. He didn't give them, he could have said it's coming on the day of Pentecost and they would have known what to expect. He could have said it's going to happen at this time in the afternoon. He could have said, uh, um, you know, you all need to, to th this is exactly how it's going to play out. You're going to hear a sound. There's going to be tongues of fire. Then you're going to speak with other tongues. He gave them none of that information. 
They just had to obey the Lord. How many times have you had to obey God without information, without, you've had some information, but not as much as you want. And we want information. And one of the dangers of hearing a peace from God, and that's so often, I mean, when I read these stories, I see so often God gives somebody the next piece. That's what he gives them, the next piece. He doesn't give them the whole picture yet. And part of that is, if he gave you the whole picture, I think, number one, it might be overwhelming. Number two, you might miss the stuff in between. Number three, sometimes when he gives you the whole picture, you try to do the whole thing the way you think it should be done. He gives you the next piece. One of the dangers of that, though, is that we fill in all the other stuff. I know I've talked to people that uh, have just gotten on fire for God. They're so excited. And God gave them a little piece, like, you need to talk to the Pastor Jonathan. He's got something to say to you. And so they'll take that piece, but then they'll add everything else to it. I mean, they'll say, so, you know, they, they kind of daydream about it or think about it. And they start to paint a picture of what that looks like. You need to stand here and you need to do this. And, and, and they've got this all laid out. This is 10-step plan of what God's going to do. And a lot of times that sets off little tiny alarm bells for me because I know that, that, that God doesn't often give that much of the plan at once. And if he does, he's often, I mean, it just doesn't lay out that way. We want the plan in full detail. We want the plan in 4K resolution. But God wants you to be obedient. He wants you to be in the right place at the right time. You know, there's a story in in, uh, the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah when he's running away from uh, the evil king and queen Ahab and Jezebel, his life is, 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 is on the line. He's, he's a wanted man again, and he's been hiding out in the, in the middle of nowhere. And he's been going, he's been taking depression naps, you know? He wants to die. He says to God, why don't you just kill me right now? He's, he's asking for suicide by God. You know, he's, he doesn't want to live anymore. And this is like right after his biggest victory. He's just seen God call, he's called down fire and seen God light up a sacrifice surrounded by water and fire licked up the water and licked up the sacrifice. He saw God show up in a mighty way and show the prophets of Baal to be false and God to be true. And he even sees the king seemingly on board for a while until the king goes home and talks to his wife and his wife puts him in his place. And now his wife says, you're going to die. Jezebel says he's going to die. Not Elijah's wife, Ahab's wife, the queen. And so he runs and he's, he doesn't want to live. He thinks he's the only one. All those same things we kind of get into when we get into a place of depression. I'm alone. I'm isolated. I don't see the point of living. I want to sleep. I just, I want to eat and sleep. That's all I want to do. And that's what he did until he woke up. And the Bible says an angel touched him and woke him up. And he wakes up and he sees this meal prepared for him. It tells us here, it tells us here that when he's at, at uh, right about at this place of depression, he's at this place where he's by himself in the wilderness and under a juniper tree and he just wants to die. An angel touches him and says, arise, eat. And then verse, this is uh, 1 Kings 19.6. Then he looked and behold, there was at his head a bread cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lie down again. The angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
Then he came there to a cave and he lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very zealous for you, Lord, or Yahweh, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. I'm the only one left and they seek my life to take it away. So he said, God said, go forth and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord was passing by and a great and a strong wind was rending the mountains and breaking in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire was a sound of gentle blowing. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and he stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He repeats the same thing he said before. Then in verse 15, the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you've arrived, you shall anoint Hazael, king of Aram, and Jehu the, or Jehu, the son of Nimshi. And you shall anoint king over Israel and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mehalath, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. God, in one conversation, solves the next, you know, uh, 50 years for him. But he had to be in the right place. An angel came and got him in the wilderness. God was in the wilderness. Don't you know God is everywhere? David said, where could I go that I could run from your presence? You're everywhere. And yet, God doesn't speak to him there. He sends him to the mountain. And then when he shows up at the mountain... And he has to journey up. He has to go a long way. 40-day journey he has to go. God, why can't you just talk to me here? How many times have you said that? Lord, it would be way more convenient if you would just talk to me here. And I want to tell you something. Convenience is not your friend. Convenience is not what you're after. Convenience not only devalues the things of God, but convenience sometimes gets in the way of what God wants to do. You know, I am a, we are a road tripping family. And, and we, I, I mean, I came by that honestly. My, my parents were like that. We loved to get in the car. I never understood why we had to go visit my grandmas in, in Texas and Arkansas, why we had to drive. I wanted to fly. I loved the smell of the airplane, the sounds of the airport. I mean, this was pre 9-11, so you didn't have to go through as much to get on a plane, but still, I loved it. I loved that journey on the plane. I love the excitement of it. But my dad, my, my dad didn't want to fly. Anytime he could drive, he would much rather drive. And I didn't understand it. As a kid, I just wanted to fly. But now as an adult, I get it. I much prefer, if I can drive somewhere, I would rather drive than fly any day. It's about that journey. Our family, we love to go camping. But one of the things we love is we love driving. We drive to see the in-laws in Washington. We love the journey. We could fly to see them in Spokane. We could use our points, our airline points, and go see them. But we love to drive. We know these little spots we like to turn off. We know where we want to get breakfast in the morning. We know where we want to get coffee. We know where we want to turn off the road and, and look at the scenery. We love the drive. And, and it's that time together as a family. The, the, the journey there is so much better than, the, than, than a lot of times, not when it comes to visiting the parents, but when it comes to like getting to the campground or getting to a mountain, the, the destination is beautiful, but the journey is even more so. And then when we do get to the mountains, we get to our, our, our place that we're going to camp, we love to hike. I mean, you could drive and go see some of those sites, but we love to hike there because 
There's all those things you see along the way. The Bible tells us that the Israelites were grumpy at God. They complained because of the way that he took them to the promised land. But he tells them, I took you on this way because I wanted to train you. I wanted to show you some things. I wanted to teach you some things. I took you this way on purpose. I took you the long way on purpose. So often we're trying to take a shortcut. We're just saying, Lord, can't you talk to me here? Why do I have to go to the meeting? Why do I have to go to church? Why do I have to do this? And I want to tell you three reasons why I think that that's Uh, why God may put you in a position where you have to go somewhere. You have to maybe take some pains to be somewhere. You have to work hard to be somewhere. Number one, number one, like we said, a lot of times it's, it's, uh, what's significant is not the destination. Destination's important, but it's the journey to get there. It's the time. It's the 10 days. Listen, remember in those 10 days before Pentecost, they heard from God about an important piece that was missing. They had to add someone and restore the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. That had to happen in their time together. There are so many times if we had taken the shortcut, we would have missed some key pieces. The journey is important. Secondly, the place is often important. Remember to Elijah that that he had to go to Horeb, the Mount of God. There were some things that God could say to him on the mountain that he wasn't going to hear by the river. Jeremiah had to leave his home and go to a different place. Sometimes, you know, God wants to, every day God wants to speak to you and he wants your home to be full of his presence. He wants you to get that Bible time, that prayer time, that praise time in your house. But sometimes you got to get out of the ordinary. You've got to get out of your environment so God can speak to you in a fresh way. And then thirdly, sometimes it's the people that are there. How many times do we see the word gathered? When Peter was uh, uh, put in prison, the intention was to execute him like they had executed James. The church gathers together and begins to pray for Peter. And they get in one place and they pray and they pray and they pray until Peter is delivered by an angel from the prison cell. An angel comes and gets him, brings him out. And then when Peter shows up at the prayer meeting, he knocks on the door, they peek through, and they don't even believe it's him. They go, it must be an angel or something. They don't know it's Peter, but Peter shows up at the gathering. They were gathered together for a purpose. When Paul who we knew at this point as Saul of Tarsus, when he was persecuting the church, the Bible tells us he was um, on his way to Damascus. He was persecuting the church in Jerusalem. He wanted to expand the franchise and persecute the church in Damascus. So he goes to Damascus and he's going to set up a little operation there where he can catch Christians in Damascus, throw them in prison, have them killed just like he did in Jerusalem. But on the way, God meets him. He sees a blinding light. He gets knocked down and the Lord speaks to him and he recognizes that it's the Lord. He says, Lord, who are you? And the voice says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Saul hears the voice. He believes it's, it's the Lord and, and he's blinded by the light. But God says to him, Jesus says to him, go into the city and stay there. And I've got a man who's praying for you, who's going to come and lay hands on you and restore your sight. And he's going to lead you in the way. He's going to show you the way. Paul gets, or you know, at this time we're calling him Saul. Saul gets to Damascus and the Bible says he is still blind. I mean, how nice is this? God blinds him and tells him to walk into town. Fortunately, he had some friends with him that guided him by the hand. And for three days, he waits. For three days, he waits. And God speaks to Ananias on that 
third day, after those three days, God speaks to Ananias, a disciple who lives in Damascus, and says, Saul is here at this guy's house. You go visit him, lay your hands on him, you know, believe, you know, pray for his healing, and lead him to Jesus. This is all happening after three days of being stuck in a city you're unfamiliar with, while you're blind, and, and the Bible says he doesn't eat or drink. During, I mean, he doesn't eat anything during that time. You know, why couldn't God set it up so Ananias was there? Ananias lives in the city. It's not a three-day journey. God purposely waited three days. Why? Because that time is important. Sometimes the time is important. Sometimes the place is important. Sometimes the people are important. And a lot of times it's all three of those things at once. Maybe God is telling you to get in position by literally making sure you're at this meeting, by literally making sure that you're gathered at this place, by telling you, you need to go on this trip. You need to go. You know, I, I'm not one of those people that goes to every conference. I, I, I can't do it. I don't have time for that. I can't go to every conference I'm invited to. I can't, I, I mean, they're great, but I can't go to every single one. I can't go to every meeting I'm invited to. But you know what? There are some that I know God's told me to go. One year, we were uh, planning one of our famous camping trips, and uh, my wife and my son, we were all excited, and we were going to go. We were going to start in Banff, and we are going to travel westward, go to Vancouver. We are going to go south, and then hit, and we took our tent with us. We're, we're stopping at these parks on the way, and then we're going to go south, go through Washington, say hi to the in-laws, stop over, and go back up into Montana, into Glacier National Park. I mean, this was an epic trip for us. I was so excited about it. But one thing that, that happened was the Lord had put it on my heart that I needed to be at this conference down in, in, on the Texas-Arkansas border. I needed to be at this conference, and it felt like days before um, this trip we were gonna take. And I said, Lord, it's not convenient. Lord, I'm busy. There's lots going on at the church. We have a family vacation plan, but I knew it was God. He said, you have to be there. I said, Lord, it's, it's, I mean, I can, get the, I can get the audio. I can get the video. I can watch it. I can listen to it after. No, you need to be there. I mean, this was the church, this was a conference put on by one of my spiritual fathers. And, and I know God's used him many times in the past to speak uh, to me and, and to minister to me. And so I, I, God didn't tell me what I needed to hear. He didn't tell me what I needed to receive, only that I had to be there. So, you know, that Sunday, I had a Sunday, busy Sunday. We had preached in Lloydminster. I had to go to Loon Lake and preach. And, in the, and the, the Saturday before that, the day before that Sunday, I had to pack up the vehicle, pack up our vehicle with all the camping gear, with all the things we'd need and get ready for the trip. And what the plan was, was I going to fly down south, go to the conference, come back, fly to Seattle, then to Calgary and meet my family in Calgary. And then we're going to go on our trip from there. I'm exhausted at the beginning of the trip. It's been a busy week. It's been a busy weekend. I am, I'm, just, I'm just drained, but I knew I had to be there. So I get there and I'm at this conference and I'm receiving. It's a great conference. I'm hearing from the Lord, but I'm not getting what I'm supposed to get. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. There's something I'm supposed to receive and I don't know when it's happening and I don't know how it's happening. I don't even know what it is, but I know it's coming. When we get to the last day of the conference. And then we get to the last night of the conference, the last meeting of the conference. In that meeting, during the praise and worship, I am not a crier. I don't, I don't, that's not, nothing wrong with that, but it's just not the way I am. I don't cry at movies. I don't, you know, I don't cry a lot. My tears are going down my face and I can't explain why. 
but I still haven't got what I'm there for. I don't know what it is. I've been taking notes. I've been listening. Lord, why'd you, why did you make me go through all this trouble to get here? And it's getting later and later, and the meeting is going long. Here's the deal. I've got to get three hours away to an airport that night because at three in the morning, I've got to be up getting ready for a flight to Seattle, to Calgary. So I, I don't have time for this. I've still got to drive three hours, go to a hotel, check in for like maybe an hour and a half, two hours of sleep, then get on a plane. I'm already, I was like, I was tired going into the trip. And here I am just sitting here saying, God, what is this? What do you want me here for? I've been here this whole conference. I'm here. It's been great. I've been receiving, but I haven't got what you told me I was here for. And I don't even know what that is. And then the time came. Service seemed to be wrapping up, but it was still going to go on for a while. I said to my, my brother-in-law and my sister, I said, I got to go. I love you guys. I'll talk to you later. I go out of the church and I go to my car. They come out with me to say goodbye. My, you know, still, I'm, I'm, I'm asking them, guys, do you think, I, you think I'm doing the right thing? Do you think I should stay? They said, whatever the Lord says. You know, my sister said, maybe you should, you know. But they're saying, you know, you got to hear from God. And I just heard it. You got to go back in. But I said, Lord, it, it, I can't go back in. I don't have time. I've got to go. And he says, go back in. So I turned around. I went back in that church and I stood there at the back wall, at the side wall, and just waited. And then the Lord had something for me. Now, it didn't have to happen in a word from the Lord. I'm not telling you you're always going to get called to the front when God tells you to be at a service. But for me, that's what happened. When, 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 when one of my fathers in the faith was preaching that final sermon, and he said, he told me to come here, and he had a word from the Lord for me. And then the, the power of God knocked me, <laughs> knocked me onto the ground. I'm sitting there on the floor, and these men and women of faith, these, these elders in the faith, these heroes of the faith, gather around me and lay their hands on me, and I feel God's doing something. I still couldn't describe what it was. I couldn't tell you it was crystal clear. I just knew something was happening in that moment. I got what I came to get, but it took me a lot to get it. It took me to the last moments of the last meeting of the last night of the final day of the conference, but I got it. And I'd like to tell you it got easier from there, but it didn't. I stopped at a Taco Bell because it was the one thing that was open on the way out of town. It's almost midnight. I stop at a Taco Bell. I go through the drive-thru, but the drive through's not moving, so I back out so I can walk inside and get my meal. When I back out, I accidentally bump into somebody's car. I get out and I use the line, I'm sorry, I'm Canadian. And this person that was angry all of a sudden was real nice to me. <laughs> there was no damage, thank God, to the rental cars, no damage to their car. I get back on the highway. I start driving, my speedometer's not working, the cruise control's not working, something's wrong with this cheap rental car. And uh, turns out I start speeding and I don't even know it. I get pulled over by a state trooper. I use the same line, I'm sorry, I'm Canadian. State trooper is so nice to me, invites me into the cab of his vehicle. I sit there in the passenger seat, and at first that freaked me out. I didn't know what was gonna happen, but he's been real nice. He writes me a warning, puts me on my way. I get to the hotel, I sleep for like an hour and a half. I get on the plane and I meet my family in Calgary. We go on our trip, and the Lord just kept on piling on his favor and his mercy, but it still wasn't easy. And if you're looking for easy, you're not really looking for God. I want to tell you places matter. Gathering matters. There's times where there's significant things God wants to do and you're going to have to hear, Lord, where do I need to be? And you might hear this, wait for me. 
and you might have a disturbing lack of information. God gives you one piece and that's it. So often in the Bible, he gave them a piece. There were times he gave them more. So often he gave them a piece. When they were obedient to the piece, they got the next piece. If you want the suddenly, you got to be ready for the suddenly. Something happens before the suddenly. And I want to tell you, don't miss it because it's not convenient. Don't miss it because it's out of the way. Don't miss it because you'd rather just be by yourself at home. You know, sometimes God calls you away by yourself, like he did to Jeremiah, go to this place, like he did to Elijah, go up here. Sometimes he calls you to gather. In the book of Acts, in Antioch, they gathered together, and they were ministering and fasting before the Lord, and they didn't know why they were gathered, they were just gathered. And that's when God says, pick two guys to go on this missionary journey, and they're gonna spread the gospel set apart Saul and Barnabas for the work of ministry and they did and those two guys went on the first missionary journey and it changed the world as we know it but it all started with a group that was gathered and they didn't know why sometimes to get in position you have to literally be in position you have to literally go where God told you to go and don't try to fill in the blanks. Don't try to say it's gonna to have to happen this way. Listen, you may not have someone call you out. You may not have someone have a prophetic word for you. You may not have this wham, bam moment, but it, whatever it is, you just trust God. Lord, I'm obedient. Trust God that he may edit when you've added too many parts to it, because I've done that too. You've added so much to it that you think is God, but it's actually just you adding details. Trust God to edit. Don't be so proud that he can't say, I didn't tell you that. That was you. That's okay. You know, it happens to all of us. Just let God speak. I want you to know that you need to be at the right place at the right time. Listen to the Lord. Bloom where you're planted. Go where he tells you. You know, when, you know we had a tradition growing up that when the church doors were open, we were there. But it's not always the church doors. It often is, but it isn't always. There's different things God may do. There's different things he may call you to. You just need to be ready. Be open to it. Get in position. Get ready for what God's gonna do. And just trust him. Trust him in the waiting. Trust him in the unknowns. Trust him in the awkward times. Trust him in the inconvenient things. Because I'm telling you something. When things are inconvenient, there's a payoff. There's a reward. I'm, I'm not saying the point is inconvenience. God's goal is not inconvenience but there are things he wants to do in you, through you, among you in that middle time that we often throw away. You forget most of Jesus' miracles happened on the way to somewhere else. Don't despise the middle. Don't despise the wait time. Don't despise the, the, the times where, where you don't know if anything's happening. Treasure it. Let God do what he's going to do, and God will.